reading from Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 14. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Thanks, Ryan. Isn't it great that God indeed is love? That's definitely worth saying amen to. It's good to be with you this morning. I hope that you're ready to open God's Word and study. I realize this morning that uh, we arrive obviously ready to worship, but with hearts that are probably somewhat troubled. Um, and there are a lot of sermons going to be preached in a lot of churches today. They're going to talk about the Christian's response to what's going on in our land and in our government and we actually talked about some of those things about a month ago and so I think what we're going to do this morning is equally important and for a couple of reasons. One, uh, the lesson that we're going to look at, the elders have said we want the church to hear this. This is the material we've been doing, some congregational health things on Sunday evenings. And a little over a month ago, we talked about what we're going to talk about this morning, and the elders said we'd like everybody to hear that. And so I think it's important for that reason, but I think it's important for another. I heard a preacher say, it's really not going to be our role to try to calm the sea. And I hadn't really thought about it that way, but in a lot of ways I think that preacher was right on. We're not probably going to be able to calm the sea. But as... Christians, what we do need to be thinking about is making sure that the ship stays afloat and that the ship continues to be pointed in the right direction. And that while we're on the ship, that not only we point to the idea that God is love and that we love people, this idea that while we're on the ship, that any time somebody's ready to get out of that raging sea, when they're tired of what the world offers and when they're ready to be on the ship, that we love them enough to make sure that we're ready to assist them in that. And so what we're talking about this morning is our salvation. But we're going to talk about it in terms of what role do we as community, what role do we as family have in helping make sure that, that, that we go to heaven together. In other words, there's this ship, and if we're all riding on this ship, how do we make sure that we stay on board, that people don't just drop off, that people don't go missing? Think about this morning as we get started, an empty seat, perhaps an empty seat right here in this room. And as you think about this, you may put a face, you may put a name. Think about somebody who was once faithfully sitting in that seat that's now empty. And the person that was once sitting in that seat there, they, they didn't pass away. They didn't just move away. They didn't just start going to church somewhere else. The, the person that was once faithfully here, that seat that they were in, that person, they're just simply gone. They're not in church anymore. And see, sometimes when we start thinking about those kinds of things, we start asking questions. 
Because sometimes these people were friends. Sometimes maybe they were our family members. And, and we start asking questions. Okay, what went wrong? What would cause them to go missing? Uh, we like to assign blame in our society. And so if this person was here and now they're not here, is it possible that somehow that, that blame, does some of it fall to me? Or is it one of those where somehow maybe it falls on church leadership? Or, you know, maybe it was somebody that they weren't... I didn't know them really well, but I just assumed that somebody else was checking up on that person. So maybe somebody else dropped the ball. Or is it all on the person who chose to walk away? The person that they were Christian, they knew what they should have done, and they chose to walk away, so maybe it's all on them. It's troubling when that happens. Well, let's think about what God wants. Think about 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 as we get started this morning. Because that's a verse that talks about what God wants. And uh, this was alluded to in our prayer just a minute ago. The idea of praying about God's patience. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, what Peter's writing about there, he said there are some people and they're going to kind of mock God because they're going to look around and they're going to look at you as a Christian and they're going to see you trying to live like you're preparing uh, for God to come back. And they're going to say, well, it seems pretty quiet. It doesn't seem like God is doing much. And so then he begins to explain God. And so then in verse 9 of 2 Peter 3, the Bible says, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. What does God want? He doesn't want a raging sea of sin out there. If God had His way, He wants everybody to be in a right relationship with Him. That's what He wants. The next thing you think about when you think about or ask the question, what does God want? We could go to a lot of places, but go to John chapter 21. Last part of this, this text, we think of the, the restoration of Peter. Peter had denied Jesus and now he's coming back and Jesus has shown up on the beach and after breakfast he has this discussion with Peter. Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I like you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I like you. That's the discussion. But then Jesus looks at Peter and he says, follow me. And Peter looks around and he looks behind him at John and Peter says, well, what about this guy? And Jesus in essence says to Peter, he says, it doesn't matter what happens with John. I'll deal with John and my relationship with John is about me and John, but you, you just follow me. No matter what's going on with anybody else, I want you to follow me. What does God want? He wants us to follow. No matter what, He wants us to follow. And then you get to kind of our main text for this morning, the one that Ryan just read out of Hebrews chapter 3. When you're asking the question, what is it that God wants? Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. In other words, God says, hey, if you're a Christian, if you're part of this family, my desire is that no one falls away. No one falls overboard. Nobody just disappears. I don't want that. And so if God doesn't want that, what's the preventative measure? Verse 13. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. One of the most troubling things to me about what we've just seen happen in our country is the affirmation 
from people who've been taught what the Bible actually says. People who are saying, well, this is a good thing. They've been hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And then he says, for we've become partakers of Christ if we hold fast to the beginning of our assurance, firm to the end. We've got to hang on. And God gives us each other to help that, to allow that to happen. And so even though that's what God wants, all of us can probably name a person, a face, a specific seat. We can all... People do walk away sometimes. Maybe following, maybe, maybe being a Christian was just more difficult than they thought it would be. Maybe we somehow had them believing that once they had been baptized into Christ that somehow things were going to get easy. And maybe they found out that things actually got more difficult. Or maybe they felt like they were attempting to follow by themselves. Maybe they didn't yet realize. Maybe we hadn't helped them understand that, that we've got each other. We're not trying to do this by ourselves. Maybe they really hadn't internalized being a follower, being a disciple of Jesus. You know, maybe instead of the idea of follow me no matter what, maybe they looked at Christianity, maybe they looked at religion as this giant game of Jesus says. You know, Jesus says go to church, and Jesus says read your Bible, and Jesus says love your neighbor, and Jesus says don't fornicate. And, you know, maybe they just got tired of playing Jesus says. Or maybe they looked around and felt like some other people were, were, weren't playing well enough. <laughs> There's a sadness for me, and probably for you also, when we think about somebody who was here, but now they aren't, and again the question becomes, you know, what if we could do better? And if we could somehow do better, what would that look like? And how would that work? The big idea for this lesson, the big idea that we're thinking about this morning, the overriding thought, if you don't walk out with anything else, the idea is that as family, each one of us has an important role in nurturing the kind of strong Christian community where we're actively helping each other go to heaven. Every one of us has a role in that. I would recommend a book for your reading. Several years ago, Flavel Yakely Jr. published a book called Why They Left. And the idea was he went out and he interviewed people who had been in churches of Christ and for whatever reason they had walked away and he went out and interviewed these folks and he kind of listened to their side of the story and he did a lot of surveys and he crunched a lot of data and he put that in this book. And so some of the things that we'll talk about come out of his book this morning, but one of the quotations, he shared a story from a family who'd left, and, I, and you understand and I understand, that's their side of the story. The church's side of the story is not presented, and probably the real information somewhere in the middle of what the two stories might be. But the family said this, When we left, no one asked why, no one visited or called. If that's legitimate, it's scary because that church, wherever it was that they were, that church, by not saying anything, actually said a lot. One way that I illustrate this is with my daughter, Kayla. She's, she's an adult. She's 21 years old. She's actually gone to the beach this weekend. She's away. But because she still lives with us... When mealtime comes and we sit down together as a family for a meal, 
she runs her own schedule and she kind of does her own thing, but if she's not at the table, I don't just ignore that. You know, I kind of want to know, well, where is she today? What's she up to today? And, you know, her, I'm not going to go home and her room be empty and she have moved out of my house and me not ask, but at least figure out where she's gone. Because she's my daughter. Because she's family. And we need to have that same kind of care for each other as church family. Let's think about where people are as they arrive. As, as people are converted, as people arrive in church community, as they become part of the family, people come from, from different places. Sometimes people arrive and they, they've got this misconception. They think they want God, but not the church. They think they want God, but they're not so sure about what we might call organized religion. And sometimes they're carrying this thought process with them because they've witnessed, maybe even been a victim of, some of the bad things organized religion has done. Because let's face it, when religion makes the news, it's almost always the bad stuff that makes the news. And so sometimes they don't understand the, the appropriate concept of what a family is supposed to accomplish. And so they arrive thinking they might do better on their own without a church family. Some people arrive and they think it's too risky to admit, admit weakness. They, maybe they've come and they've visited. Maybe you're visiting today and you're trying to decide, is it okay for me to admit to this group of people that I'm not okay? None of us are okay in one way or another. All of us have our issues. All of us fight temptation. All of us stumble. All of us have our mistakes that we make. None of us in one sense are okay. But what kind of image do we share with a person who walks in here for the very first time? Do they see us as a country club? Or, or do they see us as a hospital? Do they see us as a place where they can admit that there's a problem and find the healing that they need? We'd never want to inadvertently promote a culture where a person said, I don't know if I can ever be as good as those folks are. Because we're all simply saved by the grace of God. People sometimes arrive with a mindset of being consumers. Rather than arriving, looking at the church and saying, I've got some talent and I've got some ability and how can I plug in and how can I invest my talents? Some people arrive asking the question first, what can this church do for me? And see, if, we ever, if that person ever has the feeling that his or her needs aren't being met, that person may easily become the complainer. That person may easily decide the church has let them down somehow. That person might be ripe to just simply walk away. Some Christians arrive and they're just barely hanging on. I talked before during this lesson about a young man named Brian. and Brian was in Decatur, Alabama and Brian had been converted. He was in a recovery program, addiction recovery, and he was in church, but, but he responded to the invitation several times for prayers. I was with that church for about 11 months and I don't know how many times Brian responded, but he would respond. And one time when he came to the front, he said, he said, I'm really struggling. He said, I'm trying to live right. I'm trying to clean my life up. I'm trying to live the right way. He said, but my friends, they keep calling me and they keep trying to get me to do things and I tell them I'm not doing those things anymore, I'm not living that way anymore. But he said it's really a struggle because some of those things that they're trying to get me to do, I really still want to be out there doing them. See, that's a guy who's just barely hanging on. He's right there at the edge. He's, a, he, he's, he's a very high at risk of falling right back in. 
And we can't let that happen. And then some people arrive and they're just desperately trying to fit in. Some people are very outgoing and they can easily dive into a new group and they can find their place. A lot of us are more introverted and, and we're kind of waiting for an invitation to become a part of a group. We, it's a little harder for us to get to know people. It's a little harder for us to get involved. And so we've got to have this idea that, that, that every circle of friends must have an opening on the end so that we're always looking to, to add that new person to the group. Because see, the question becomes, when we think about our church family, you know, what are we doing? to assimilate new people, to help them fit in, to help them find their place in the church family, to become faithful followers, if you will. And see, this stuff's important, at least according to one of the surveys that Brother Yakely did. He surveyed new Christians. No, he surveyed churches, and he asked about new Christians. And he asked the question, in your church... What methods are being used to assimilate new members in your congregation? 20%, one in five of respondents said, nothing's being done in our church. Another 20% said, we don't know what's being done in our church. That's almost half. That's 40%. And it's scary because the, the statistics, the studies say, if we don't help a person find his or her place in the family, that person's probably going to fall away. And so the question becomes, how do we help people? How do we help each other do church community well? And we're moving quickly this morning. We've, we've got a lot to cover. And you think about Acts chapter 2, and you think about the picture that's painted there of that new church, and it's, it's on fire with growth, and, and the people are together. Verse 42 of Acts 2 says they're continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. You get it and I get it. Our lives today are a little bit different than what's going on in Acts chapter 2. We may not see each other every single day. We may not be in a Bible study together every single day. But somehow, some way, we've got to continue to try to capture the kind of community that these folks had. And so how do we do that? How do we get that done? Because here's the thing. If you and I can go Sunday to Sunday without interacting and being involved in some way with our church family, our church community, and it doesn't feel like something's missing in our life. If I can go Sunday to Sunday and have no interaction with my church family, and that doesn't feel wrong, it doesn't just kind of leave a void for me, that ought to be a red flag. Because my church family needs to be a very active, integral part of my life. Let's talk about church at three levels. One thing Brother Yakely does is he goes back and he talks about Peter Wagner's book on church growth. And Wagner talked about the idea that a Christian needs to experience church at three levels. And I'm kind of throwing around these terms and I hope you'll work with me on that. But Wagner says, number one, every Christian needs to experience celebration. In other words, doesn't matter what size the church is. It might be 800, it might be 100. Whatever size the church is... Every Christian needs to be in worship. And, and we'd all agree with that. That's an easy one. We need to worship together. And then he says there's a congregational level. He says this is 30 to 60 people. You know these folks in the church pretty well. Doesn't matter how big the church is, but these 30 to 60, you're kind of living Christian life with them. You, you know them on a first 
same basis. You interact quite a bit. He says you need to experience a congregational level. That might be the size of a large adult Bible class. And I think we get that also. But then he said, every Christian needs to experience church at the cell level. He said, this is the 10 to 12 people who are actively helping me live out my Christianity. These are the people that I'm with regularly. If I'm, if I'm not in worship today, by the time one of them gets to the car, they're going to send me a text, not to, not to scold me, but they're just going to wonder where I was. Are you sick? Is there a problem? What's going on? I didn't see you today. The 10 to 12 people who are actively helping me live out my Christian life. See, and this is why a lot of churches today are placing a, a renewed emphasis on an organized small group ministry, kind of like is done here. The idea that there's been a realization that we need to get to know people at a level that will help one another live out Christianity in an effective way. And most churches have done this in some form. The big controversy has always been, will small groups replace what had previously been a group assembly? And that falls to the decision of local shepherds in every congregation. It's how they choose to lead. But one thing Brother Yakely pointed out in his book, he said, we've always done this. And for those of you who are my age or, or maybe older than me, he said, he calls us back to a day and a time when he said, you know, you used to always go to church and hardly ever there'd be a Sunday night or a Wednesday night when you'd leave church and simply just go home by yourself. He said it was almost always you were going to somebody's house or somebody was coming to your house or you were going to get ice cream. Something was going on. He said we were into each other's lives that way. That doesn't happen as much anymore. One of the reasons is because as families, as people, we are busier than we've ever been in our lives. And so we were talking about it in class this morning. I was trying to think back to what day this week last that my family actually sat down, all four of us, at the supper table together. Blood families are struggling to find enough time just to spend together as a family. And when we're struggling to find times to spend together as, as blood families, it becomes more difficult to find time to spend together as church family. So we have some legitimate challenges in this, but we need each other. We really do. And the harder it is for us to spend time together as church family, the more difficult it becomes to form the kind of relationships where we can help each other stay on track. Where the, where the circle's always got an open end looking for that next person who needs some closeness. But see, these groups are valuable because it takes somebody who's close to you to get away with correcting you, to, to ask the tough questions. It's never comfortable to, to ask somebody, okay, you know, are you sure you're making a wise decision in this? Are you sure you ought to be doing that? Are you sure you ought to be engaging in that activity? Are you sure you ought to be putting that ahead of church? Now, how many people in your life can get away with asking those questions? Probably it's going to be those 10 to 12 people who you're really close to. See, we need each other. We need people who will, will, when we're getting ready to launch ourselves off the side of the ship, sometimes we just make horrible decisions. We need people that will try to stop us before we make life-changing bad decisions. And it takes people who are close. See, that cell group, that 10 to 12 people, they're not going to allow me to disappear and be gone for several months before anybody checks on me. 
And hopefully they don't allow me to launch myself purposefully down the road of of willful sin. Sometimes I do that and I'm still in church. Do you notice that? We know something's going on in somebody's life and and they're still coming to church, but they have purposefully launched themselves down a road of things that God says isn't right. Who's going to bring them back? Who's going to try to get their attention? And you may be thinking this, and yes, shepherds, elders have a role in this. But see, when you start putting 400 people together, how do five, six, or seven guys, how can five, six, or seven guys be that active with four, sometimes five larger churches? See, we need each other. We've got to be close enough to care. One of Yakely's surveys says that this stuff's very important. A survey of more than 100 churches. He asked the question, in your church, how many close personal friends do you have? 10% of respondents said that they had no close personal friendships in their congregation. None. They're just showing up for church. They come in, they leave. Another 10% said that they have just one or two close friendships within their church. 30% said that they've got close friendships in the church, but, but they really hadn't done any, they really hadn't been in each other's homes. They really weren't going out and doing anything together. They're calling them close friends, but they're not really, really interacting in each other's lives very much. Half said, Yes, I have close personal friendships, but none of the time that we spend together outside of church is spent on activities that actually help us grow spiritually. We've just covered 90% of the church. Only 10% said, yes, I have close personal friendships where some of the time that we spend together is actually spent on activities that help us grow spiritually. Now, that might be a Bible study. That might be outreach to somebody who's in need. Only 10% said they had those kind of friendships within the church. I'm going to drive this home with one more piece of research data. Yakely surveyed 100 recent converts. 50 of the recent converts were still faithful. 50 of the recent converts had fallen away. And so he surveyed them and he started looking for commonalities. Is there anything common with all the people who are still faithful? Is there anything common with all the people who have fallen away? And this is what he found. In every case, the 50 recent converts who were still faithful, in every case they had seven or more friendships within the church. Seven or more. The people who would fallen away in every case, three or fewer. Doctrine is super important, but it does beg the question, have we looked for any new people to befriend lately? Have we looked for that person who maybe they come in and they get out in a hurry and nobody's really talking to them? Because see, the people who don't have friends in the church, those are the people who are most at risk of falling away. The data tells us that. I mean, the Bible says it, but then the surveys back it up. We need each other. And I do get it. Sometimes we might get a little defensive. You know, that had to be a problem with them. They've obeyed the gospel. They ought to know what this is about. But, but see, the problem is we've still got to be trying to live out Hebrews 3. The idea that God doesn't want anybody to fall off the ship. God says, I don't want that to happen. And He says, since I don't want that to happen, what I want you all to do is to encourage one another as long as it is still 
day. I want you to help each other stay in the game. 1 Thessalonians 5, I want you to live ready. You know, if you were converted from outside, if you weren't a churchgoer all of your life, or if you've ever had to change congregations and become a part of a new church family, think about what worked well. Think about what was a struggle. And then think about how you can help minimize that struggle for somebody else. Think about the expectations that maybe were placed on you. Uh, counterintuitive study says that when a new person comes to us, when a person's converted, when they become a member, they expect the church to state some expectations. This is what we expect of you. And sometimes we're fearful of putting expectations on folks. I'll share one more valuable piece of information, and today's lesson is yours. I know we're about out of time. Brother Yakely received a phone call from a Mormon researcher because Brother Yakely's done so much survey work for Churches of Christ. And so the Mormon researcher said, I've got a couple of questions about one of your surveys. And so Brother Yakely answered the questions. And then before they got off the phone, Brother Yakely said, could I ask you a couple of questions before, uh, before we hang up? And the Mormon researcher said, well, sure. And so Brother Yakely began with a statement and then asked the question. He said, in the 50s, Churches of Christ were about twice the size in the U.S. of the Mormon church, but now that is basically reversed. And so he said, my first question is, do you attribute your growth to those 18-year-old elders that are going door to door? And the Mormon researcher kind of laughed and said, well, no. He said, that's great experience for those guys, but we've calculated we make one new convert for every 3,000 doors that we knock on. But then the Mormon researcher said this, he said, now we are having more babies than you all are. They do. But he said, what we found is that we make one new convert for every two people that we have into our homes for a meal. There's something about sitting down and sharing time and sharing food. Meals change relationship somehow. Some way, I don't know exactly how it works. Now that's in the context of evangelism, and I think that'll work in the context of evangelism. But think about us as church family. You think about that person who they walk in and they walk out in a hurry and they don't really have any friends. How might that change if we figured out a way to sit down with that person and to have a meal and to spend the time? Take care, brethren that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called a dose, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we've become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. That's the big idea, that we've all got this role in making that happen. God values community. It is His plan for securing the save. We've all got to be great relationship builders. We've got to just do that to the very best of our ability. Because God didn't intend for us to go to heaven alone. It can't be just about our shepherds. It can't just be about the ministerial staff. It's got to be all of us doing what we can to foster those kinds of relationships. Today, as we get ready to sing a song of encouragement, we simply ask the question, today, if you're a part of this church family, if you are a Christian, are you in a right relationship with God? Because as family, 
it is okay to state that, hey, I'm not okay, I need some prayers. And if that's where you are today, you can let that be known down front. Find one of the shepherds after church and just say, hey, will you pray with me? And they'll do that. That's what shepherds do. Maybe you're here today and you've never been baptized into Christ. Maybe you're still in that sea. But maybe you realize that the sea, the raging sea, the the problems of life is not where it is. And maybe you understand the idea that being on that ship is the only solution. Maybe you're ready to be baptized into Christ today for the mission of your sins. If you need to respond today while Bradley leads us, let that be known while we stand and while we sing. We're part of...